Whenever I officiate a wedding, I'll normally be standing in the position I am right now, in front of a crowd, and uh, after the bride comes down the aisle, she'll be standing to my, my right and the groom to my left. And of course, you know, I go through the, the whole ceremony of first starting with who gives this uh, woman to this man and the dad gives her away and then I, then I share a little bit about um, the, the council that has taken place uh, with the couple up until the ceremony and then I will have them exchange rings and say vows to each other and they will say you know I so and so take so and so right to be my wedded wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part. And what's going on there when I'm having them say that, what's happening is, is I'm, I'm leading these couples into entering into this, this relationship that we call a covenant relationship they are entering into in that ceremony before God and men a covenant marriage a covenant is a it's simply a relationship an agreement between two sometimes more people that have guidelines that govern that relationship that's what a covenant is so, for example, in a relationship between a husband and wife, the guidelines for that relationship is that the two are to remain committed to one another and faithful to one another for the rest of their lives in sickness and in health, for rich or for poor, as long as they both shall live. Those are the, the guidelines of the covenant in a marriage relationship. And as many of you know, the Bible has a lot to say about covenants, right? This, this covenant relationship. The word covenant in Scripture is often used to describe the relationship that God has with His people. And there have been several covenants made throughout biblical history that God has entered into with His people and in those covenants, they carry with them certain guidelines that govern the way that relationship is supposed to be. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 8. We're finishing out Hebrews 8 this morning. And in our text for today, we're going to be talking about the covenant relationship between God and His people from the time of Moses to Jesus and the relationship that we are now in believers with God is referred to it's called the new covenant you probably heard that before right we're going to talk about that this morning and let me just say this before we get started for those of you all who are considering after hearing what we're going to talk about cutting out and tuning out this morning thinking that the topic of covenants is boring. I want you to think about this. The study of covenants in Scripture is the study of how God has chosen to relate 
to us and about how we can enter into that relationship with them and the guidelines for that relationship. I mean, what is more important than that? Remember, it was David who praised God for being mindful of man and he, he praised him for how he is related to man. And like David, we should worship God for that reason as well. And we've been doing that this morning and studying about how God has chosen to identify with us and relate to us and how we can enter into a right relationship with him. That enables us to worship God in a greater way and helps us in knowing how we are to approach him in worship. What's more important than that? So Hebrews 8. Last week in the first part of Hebrews 8, we learned more reasons why Jesus is a supreme priest. Why is supreme? We talked about the fact that he is supreme because of his seat, his sanctuary, and his service. He is seated at the right hand of the Father which means the work that he has been sent to do, he has accomplished for our salvation. So he is seated in that way. That work is, is completed. He's supreme in that way. The priest of old never sat down, right? Because the work was never done. They could not do what Christ came to do. He's also supreme in his sanctuary, where he serves. Where does Christ serve? In the heavenly, holy of holies, in the heavenly temple, in the holy places, right? in the heavenly places. So he is supreme in his seat, his sanctuary, and his service. We said that, that God in all his glory, it, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, in all his glory, in all his majesty, is still serving us today. He is ministering on our behalf today. He ever lives to make intercession for us. So, so he is supreme in that way because of his seat, his sanctuary, and his service. And we're going to learn today he is also supreme because of his superior covenant that he is associated with. Christ is associated with a better covenant. Let's pick up where we left off last week in Hebrews 8, verse 6. Look at verse 6. The writer of Hebrews says this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates, underline that word mediate, is better since it is enacted on better promises. So the point he's making here is very, very simple. He's basically making the point that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Now, what is the old covenant here? Well, there were a lot of old covenants made, that God made with man. There was the Edenic covenant. There was the Adamic covenant. There was the Noahic covenant. There was the Abrahamic covenant. There was the Davidic covenant. What covenant does he have in mind here? Well, context helps us. We find the answer in this passage of Scripture. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Levitical priesthood and about how Jesus is a superior priest. He is better than the Levitical priests who were from the tribe of Levi, from the household of Aaron. And that was set up in the days of Moses, right? So he's talking about the Mosaic covenant. 
the covenant God entered into with Moses and Aaron and the priesthood. And if you question that, you need to just read verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 8. Let's do that. The author of Hebrews is quoting the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, the, the kingdom was divided in the northern and southern kingdoms. Verse 9, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. There it is right there. The old covenant here he's talking about is the covenant that God established with his people in the days of Moses. And the author of Hebrews, he's already made the point clear, right? Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was the mediator between God and man in his day, and Aaron and the priest to follow were mediators, meaning that they stood before God on behalf of his people, so they were middlemen, go-betweens of the old covenant, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and Christ is better because he, he's associated with the better covenant because he is better, right? You with me? The, the new covenant is better because it is associated with the better person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings with it better promises as well. We're going to talk about more on that here in just a moment. But the point I want you to get here is very, very simple. It's this. The new covenant is better than the old. In the same way, Christ is better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than the entire Levitical system. Look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. Very simple right? Simple logic. He makes a point that if there were no problems with the old covenant, if it had been faultless, there would be no need for another. God abides by the principle. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? There was an issue with the old covenant, which is why it was eventually replaced. And get this, the issue with the old covenant, I want you to understand this, it had nothing to do with the God of the old covenant, it had nothing to do with the covenant itself, but with the people associated with it. That was the problem. That's why the writer of Hebrews says at the beginning of verse 8, God finds fault with them. With who? With Moses? With, with Aaron? With the Levitical priest? He always did, which is why he says what he does next through the prophet Jeremiah, all right? So in the Old Testament, he said this. We're going to look at Jeremiah's words in a moment. But we learn here, one, one, of the, one of the main reasons the new covenant with Jesus is better is because Jesus is associated with the new covenant and Jesus is better. Look at verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, who says? God says through Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. See, this teaching about the old covenant being replaced by the new, we've talked about this, was nothing new. 
God spoke of it through their own dear prophet, Jeremiah. He says through him, through Jeremiah, I will establish a new covenant with my people. It's going to be better. The first was flawed because it was associated with flawed people who were beset with weakness, who were ignorant and wayward. They were weak and quick to sin. The author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah who says, end of verse 9, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. They were flawed sinners who were completely unable to atone for their own sin, to destroy the works of the devil, to conquer sin and death through their priestly works. They could not tear the holy veil away and usher people into the presence of God. In fact, they set their hearts against God. They went astray in their hearts, didn't they? But in their works, all the priests could do under the old covenant was what they were meant to do under the old covenant, show people their sinfulness and their need of a Savior and point people toward Jesus. That's all they could ever do. They were flawed go-betweens who offered up sacrifices that couldn't take away sin, and they had to offer it up for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people, and, and those sacrifices were flawed. Though they were to be without blemish, they were flawed. They couldn't take away sin. Again, they simply pointed to Jesus, and the fact that they were offered over and over again pointed toward the need for this perfect and final sacrifice. I heard a pastor say this about the Old Covenant. He said the, the Old Covenant was the sign that pointed people to salvation but was never the train to bring them there. I like that. It's very true. There needed to be a new covenant. God says that through Jeremiah. And from this point on, the writer of Hebrews just quotes the words of Jeremiah who's speaking the words of God about this new covenant. And so what I want to do for the rest of the time is I want to look at this and I want to show you a few features about this new covenant from the prophet Jeremiah. And we're going to close this out with this, okay? And I want you to notice there are some major differences between the old and new covenant, but there are also similarities as well. We're going to first look at the continuity between the Old and New Covenant before we talk about the differences. So, what is the same about the New Covenant? Here's the first, first thing. God is the author of the New Covenant. Just the same as He was the Old. The author of Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah 31, says this. Listen to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 32. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. God made both covenants. Do you see that? He was the author of both the old and the new covenant. Listen to verse 8 again. Jeremiah says that the Lord declares, I will establish a new covenant covenant now i want you to understand something here in a lot of the agreements that we enter into with other people we enter into those agreements as as equals right 
We're, we're equals with those we, we enter into covenant relationships here on earth with. That's certainly true of the marriage relationship, but that is not true with God. There is not an agreement between equals when we are in a covenant relationship with God. God has no equal. God and man are never on equal ground and never enter into a relationship on equal terms. With God's covenants, it's not like God says to us, well, here are my terms, and we lay out our terms, and we, we give and take until we reach an agreement. That's not the way it works with God. We can never at any time negotiate with Him. He writes it, and that's it, right? When God makes a covenant, He makes it, and there is nothing that needs to be changed about it. Listen, any changes that we might make to that covenant relationship would make it less than what's best because God's perfect. We would just foul it up. No, He makes it. It's the best, and we either accept it or we reject it, but we never change it. Listen, folks, you have to come to God on his terms or not at all. That's it. That's it. God is the author of this covenant, this new covenant. He is the one who determines how we enter into this relationship with him. And he has determined that it's through Christ alone through faith alone in Him alone. If we try to change that or come in any other way, we will not enter in. That's it. Notice the second feature we see here that's similar. The new covenant is with Israel. Look at the end of verse 8. I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Again, it's from Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Now, when people think new covenant, they often think it's just a covenant for Gentiles. The old covenant was for Israel and Judah, and the new covenant is for the, for the non-Jews, right? For the Gentiles, not according to Hebrews 8, 8, and Hebrews 8, 10, taken from Jeremiah 31. The new covenant is for Israel. And you're probably thinking, well, what are we doing here then, right? Well, we're a part of this covenant people. We are beneficiaries. Paul says in Romans 11 that we are grafted in and we share the same root through faith in Christ alone. He makes the point that we are spiritual sons and daughters, Gentiles, of Abraham. We are God's children, spiritual Israel. And get this, I want you to hear this. We are more God's people than Jews who reject Christ. We are. Who said that? Well, Jesus said that. John chapter 8. He says, you guys say, and he was talking to the most devout Jews of his day. He says, you guys say that God is your father and that you are physical sons of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. That hurts, doesn't it? That stings. Why? They had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 
Remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Boy, that's a rough state to be in, right? But now, boy, the buts are, those are always good news when when God's speaking it through his apostle here. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So this new covenant is for Israel and for us who have been grafted in, who share the same root through faith alone in Christ alone. Here's the next feature that is similar. The goal of the new covenant is fellowship with God. Look at the end of verse 10. Let me just read verse 10. For this is the new covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Now that's new. We're going to turn back to that in a minute. But look at that last line. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. These are the terms of the new covenant spoken by Jeremiah and recorded here by the author of Hebrews. What's the ultimate aim of the new covenant? What's the goal? The goal is fellowship with God. God wants to be our God, and he wants us to be his people. That's the goal. That's the aim. That's the plan. Guess what? That's always been God's goal. That's always been God's aim. That's always been his plan. This is not the first time this language is seen here. Again, he's quoting Jeremiah, but this goes back to Exodus. Listen to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. And you have these verses in your scripture reading this week. This is Old Covenant with Moses. He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. This is Old Covenant. What's the ultimate purpose in the Old Covenant? Fellowship with God. God wants to call out a people to exist in relationship with him. He wants to be their God, and he wants them to be his people. And that is the purpose of the new covenant, believers. Let's skip ahead. Way past Exodus, way past Jeremiah, way past Hebrews to the book of Revelation. Toward the end of the book, listen to Revelation 21.3. John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God see the language where does that come from starts in Exodus we see it in Jeremiah and Hebrews all the way throughout you're going to read verses of scripture that that are just repetitive all throughout on this and ends in the book of Revelation that is his plan his aim his purpose it's always been his plan his aim and his purpose he wants to call out a people he wants to be their god and for them to be his people so the goal of the new covenant same as the old is fellowship with god 
That's been his plan from day one. We sort of think of ourselves, sometimes people do, as a plan B. We think plan A was Israel, that didn't work out, and when it didn't, God went to us. That's not what's going on here. We see that as we study through the scriptures, we learn that we believers have been at the heart of what God has been doing since day one, and that should encourage you. You know, we we'll often praise a coach who makes good halftime adjustments to improve on what his team is doing or to do something different so they'll be in a, a better position to win. And though we, we praise coaches like that, those who know the adjustments to make to win the game, we praise them as being wise. Listen, having a plan B reveals a lack of knowledge, right? It does. They're not sure if plan A is going to work, so they go with plan B. God didn't have a plan B. He doesn't. Why? He's all-knowing, all-powerful, in control, doesn't have a plan B, never has. He has had one plan from the beginning of time, and that involves calling out a people, saving them, being their God, them being his people. That's what God is all about. Calling out a people for himself, redeeming them so that they might live for him. And he has been, is today, will be forever successful at carrying out this plan. Don't believe it? Just look around you. Successful. Successful. So these are the features of the new covenant that are similar to the old. Now let's take time to look at what is new about the new covenant. What is new about the new covenant? Notice three things. Number one, in the new covenant, God's law is inside of us. Look at verse 10 again. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Now, there are a few things I want you to see here. First, I want you to see that there is still some continuity here. Notice God's law is important in both the old and the new covenants. I think all of us know that the law was important in the Old Covenant, right? But when we think of law, we often think that's Old Covenant, New Covenant's no law. No law, just grace. Law is Old Covenant, grace is New Covenant. That's the way we think, but, but that is not correct. We're thinking incorrectly about law here. Laws simply mean they are expectations, standards, guidelines, commands that God gives to his people and he gives them through this covenant relationship. With the covenants that God makes with his people, there comes with that covenant standards, expectations, commands, and guidelines. With Adam, it was don't eat from the tree, right? With Moses, there were a bunch. We have the Big Ten, then we have all the ceremonial laws and all the requirements for priesthood and sacrifice. The New Covenant is no exception. Listen to Luke 13, 3. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. John 15, 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there are expectations, commands, guidelines, laws that God gives to his people no matter the covenant. Now the reason we, we don't think of laws as applying to us today in the new covenant is because of what Paul said about it in Galatians. In Galatians 5.18, Paul says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So people read verses like this and say, see, not under the law. We, we are led by the Spirit, therefore we're not under the law. But what does Paul mean when he says law here? He's talking about the Mosaic law. Those expectations that God had on his people during the administration of Moses and the priesthood that today have been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. And if you study Galatians, you'll see that fits contextually. So at times, when Paul used the word law, he's speaking of the Mosaic law. Other times in the book of, of, of Galatians, he mentions the law of Christ. Talks about the law of Christ. But in Galatians 5.18, I believe Paul is speaking of the Mosaic covenant in the same way the author of Hebrews is speaking of it in Hebrews 8.10. One of the major differences, get this, between the old and the new covenant is that the law in the new covenant is not this outward set of commands that people try to just solely keep in a physical outward sense, but the law in the new covenant is an inward desire that we have in our hearts, believers, to keep those things and live in that way because we have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. Paul says you, you who are led by the Spirit are not under that law. The author of Hebrews says that God says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Thomas Lee, the late Thomas Lee, former New Testament professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote this in his commentary on Hebrews. Look at this quote up on the screen. He said this, The old covenant could reveal the paths of good and evil, but it could not supply power to walk in righteousness. The power which enabled believers to follow these laws was none other than the power of the Holy Spirit who frees believers from the law of sin and death. Very good. So with the new covenant, God's people have new power. There is a, a new power, a new enabling in a new way that is made possible through the indwelling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Another reason we say and commentators believe that the author of Hebrews is talking about uh, another reason why we believe he's referring to the Holy Spirit here is because there is a parallel passage to this passage that we've been looking at in Jeremiah in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 19 through 20, you've got it in your scripture reading, I'll read it for you. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people, there it is again, and I will be their God. 
Fellowship with God, always the plan, right? You see that there. We're able to live in this way because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So in the New Covenant, God puts His Spirit into His people as a whole, and His Spirit indwells all His people, all of those trusting in Christ alone for salvation, and the Spirit enables His people to trust in Christ for salvation so that they will have new desires, new want-tos to follow hard after God, and the ability to do it in a way they never had before. So in the New Covenant, God's law is inside of us. Number two, the New Covenant gives deeper knowledge of God for all. Look at verse 11. And they shall not teach, each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Now, let me say this. The writer of Hebrews is not saying at the beginning when he says they shall not teach that there are no need for teachers, okay? And I don't just say that because of I want job security, but uh, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says that Christ has given gifts to the church, and one of those gifts is the pastor teacher. So you're welcome for your gift, all right? <laughs> Keep your comments to yourself, all right? But what the author of Hebrews is, is talking about here, he's not talking about there's not a need for teachers, but he's saying that in the new covenant, there is, it's going to be marked by a deeper knowledge of God by all who trust in Christ alone for salvation. Now, why are we going to have a deeper knowledge of God? Why should we have that? Well, back up to the previous point. They're indwelled with the Spirit of God. Who, who shines a brighter light on the truth of God from his word. We're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 that God reveals truths to us through the Spirit. He tells us in verses 10 and 11, For the Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows the depths of God, the mind of God. Why? Because He is God. And He indwells this new covenant people, us believers, and He reveals these truths to us, all of us, from the least to the greatest. He uses His Word. He uses teachers as they teach His Word to grow us deeper in our knowledge of God's Word. In the Old Testament, certain individuals, they went up to God, in a sense, to get word from Him, right? Remember, Moses did that, but the other Jews were prevented from going up to commune with God. And then, and then Moses comes back down and brings God's Word back down with them. The same was true for the prophets. But in the New Testament, and with the New Covenant, God comes down to us, in the person of Jesus. And he indwells us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So with the new covenant, all of us who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, we have a deeper knowledge of God. Last point. Third reason the new covenant is superior to the old is that the new covenant grants forgiveness of sin through Jesus. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful 
toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen? There is forgiveness of sins in the new covenant. Now, in the old covenant, there was a promise of forgiveness of sins, and when sacrifices were offered up in faith, they were offered up looking forward to the Messiah to come. But this work was not accomplished till the Lord Jesus came and laid his life down at Calvary. When Christ came, laid his life down, he covered from the past those looking forward, trusting to this future work, and those of us looking back at it, trusting in this work. So the forgiveness of sin doesn't come till Christ and the new covenant. He is the one who provides us with forgiveness of sin. Because of the great work that he has done, God is able to be merciful to the wicked. He is able to forgive the sins of the wicked and the wayward and remember them no more. So the the new covenant is better because it grants forgiveness of sin through Jesus And in verse 13, the writer of Hebrews just gives a summary statement, really trying to put the nail in the coffin of this thinking that the old covenant is supreme. He says in verse 13, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There's a new and better covenant with Jesus Christ. Through his person and work, we're able to be forgiven of sin, restored to God permanently. Because of Christ, God is able to be merciful to us. Because he was our perfect and sinless sacrifice, God is able to forgive us our sins and remember those sins no more. But for that to happen, for us to become recipients of that blessing, for us to be Uh, become a part of that covenant people there are some things that must happen with us to enter in to this covenant relationship we got to be changed from the inside out and we got to respond to that change by forgiving uh, repenting of our sins and placing our faith alone in christ alone i read luke 13 3 earlier it's one of the conditions of the new covenant jesus says unless you repent you will all likewise perish. You have to repent. You have to turn from your sin. You have to make Christ Lord of your life. If you've never done that, now's the time. Today's the day to do that. I pray you would. Let's pray together.